0: Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911.
1: Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, one man car. My name is Jesse Romero, the Latin lover. Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the land lover of Our Lady, my partner Ruben Nava is doing some apostolic work today. Hey, today, by the way, uh, at Holy the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, I want to just remind you that it was Saint Lucy's Feast Day. Saint Lucy, pray for us. So, who was she? There's so many, uh, so many women in the first century, second, third century that died as virgin martyrs. She's one of them. The story of St. Uh, Lucy's life tells us that she was consecrated to Jesus Christ herself at a young age, despite the marriage arrangements that were made by her mother, Eutychia. When Eutychia suffered from, from, she suffered from a hemorrhage, she was cured after venerating the relics of St. Agatha near Syracuse. And this miraculous healing softened Eutychia's heart towards her daughter, Lucy, who henceforth set about distributing the family's wealth to the poor. Lucy's pagan fiancé, on the other hand, was incensed by the squandering of the fortune. He denounced her to the governor. As in Agatha's case, tradition suggests that Lucy's tormentors were determined to violate her virginal body, but she was miraculously preserved. St. Lucy died around 303 AD. And uh, behold, she now follows the lamb who was crucified for us, powerful in virginity, modesty her offering, a sacrifice on the altar of chastity. May the glorious intercession of the Virgin and Martyr Lucy give us a new heart, we pray, O Lord, so that we may celebrate her heavenly birthday in this present age. And so behold, things eternal through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Hey, this is December. This is an incredible month. All kinds of celebrations in December for us as Catholics. You know, we have uh, obviously the Advent approaching Christmas Day. Advent represents uh, the time of the preparation for the coming of our Savior. The liturgical colors are typically uh, purple or or violet, except on the third Sunday that just passed, Godaute Sunday, when there was uh, rose-colored vestments for the priest. We also celebrate the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, one of the four Marian dogmas this month. We've also celebrated the octave of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and once again, we're going to be preparing for the Christmas Vigil Mass when the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent. It's, for, it's uh, because we're expecting, it's the expectant faith for the coming of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's uh, jump into the topics for today. There's a friend of John Paul II at a recent conference, Lech Walisa, Lech Walisa, a friend of St. John Paul II and a key player in the defeat of communism in Poland and in the, in, in the 1980s exposed the lies of the ideology that has claimed the lives of millions of people around the world. Leftists have taken over this attitude of taking care of the people, of the helping the poor. But Lech Walisa, friend of John Paul II, said the following, "Quote Beware of slogans because they always propagate them. But they never keep their promises. They have ne- communists have never fulfilled them. And they're never going to fulfill them. I say that because <clears throat> this is what we're dealing with right now in America right now. We're dealing with the <clears throat> infiltration of communism into our, our country. And uh, once again, St. John Paul II, he grew up under communism, under, under Nazism. And his friend also, Lech Walisa, grew under these two systems so they they know what they're talking about and we could i'll tell you when you could start sensing the infiltration of communism into a country how pretty simple stolen elections stolen elections are a classic trait of the infiltration of communism in a country Joseph Stalin once said, "America is like a healthy body, and its resistance is threefold: its patriotism, its morality, and its spiritual life. If we can undermine these three areas, America will collapse from within. So the communists are trying to destroy our patriotism through anarchy, Antifa, Black Lives Matter. <clears throat> you know, don't uh, don't salute the flag, don't do the Pledge of Allegiance." Uh, communism are trying to start uh, destroy our morality, drag queen story hours, transgenderism, uh, LGBT movement, Pride Day, Pride Month, uh, you know, medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, uh, human sex slave trafficking. Communism is trying to destroy our morality, and communism is trying to destroy our spiritual life as well. What is communism built on? Atheism. There is no God. There is no Jesus. The Bible is not true. This is what communism is based on. Communism is a diabolical government system. So let me go over here to Pope John Paul II's friend and his warning, his dire warning. His name's Lech Walisa, a friend of St. John Paul II and a key player in defeating communism. In the, in, in, uh, in the defeat of, of Soviet communism in Poland in the 1980s, he exposed the lies of the ideology. And again, this, this ideology of communism has claimed the, li- claimed the lives of millions of people around the world. It's been tried and it's failed everywhere it's been tried. The former president of Poland, again, Lech Walisa, was in Mexico to participate in the first conservative political action conference in the country. In a November 19th interview with with EWTN's Aki Prensa, the Spanish division, Spanish language sister news agency, the 79-year-old Polish leader explained why communism has to resort to police state methods and persecution to maintain control of its population. Walisa, who was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1983, said that communism doesn't have a good program and doesn't come with good ideas. It has slogans. And nothing else. And that is why it can't manage without force. Without an army. Without special forces, he explained. listen. noted that leftists have taken over this attitude of taking, of taking care of people. Of helping the poor. But it was just talk. It was just communist rhetoric to try to soften up the people. But they never delivered. Lech like Walesa, former president of <laughs> Poland... And friend of St. John Paul II, he says, Beware of slogans, because they always propagate them. The left always propagates them, but they never keep their promises. They have never fulfilled them, and they're never going to fulfill them, he stressed. The ideals of communism seem very good, but I've never seen the promises fulfilled, says Lech Nothing that he lived for decades under communism, Walisa well, said that I know it very well. Noting again, again, he noted that he lived under communism for decades. So the man knows what he's talking about. In the 1980s, Walisa was a shipyard electrician and co-founder of the Solidarity Trade Union, whose efforts eventually led to the demise of communism in the country. A 2017 Wall Street Journal article estimated that over a 100-year period, the communist regimes of the Soviet Union and its allies such as China, Cuba, North Korea, Vietnam, Cambodia, were responsible for over 100 million deaths. Let me mention that statistic again because that's mind-blowing. A 2017 Wall Street Journal article estimated that over a 100-year period, the communist regimes of the Soviet Union, its allies such as China, Cuba, North Korea, Vietnam, Cambodia, were responsible for about 100 million deaths. In 1937, Pope Pius XI, in his encyclical Divini Redemptoris, or Redeemer, Divine Redeemer in English, Pope Pius XI stated that communism conceals in itself a false messianic idea. A pseudo-ideal of justice, of equality, and fraternity in labor impregnates all its doctrines and activity with a deceptive mysticism, which communicates a zealous and contagious enthusiasm to the multitudes entrapped by delusive delusive promises. In other words... Communism appeals to low-information Americans, unfortunately. I'll tell you how communism works, and they know this is the way it works. You have to take over the hospitals and medical facilities. This is called socialized medicine. That's step number one for communism to take over a country. And this is what Barack Obama did, by the way, about 10, 15 years ago. You've got to take care of the medical facilities and hospitals and call it socialized medicine. That's step one in communism. you know it's it's in our country. we've been uh, Bella Dodd was right uh, back in the 1950s when uh, when she told she warned us that communism has infiltrated the church as well. communism is is a supposedly an atheistic system which renounces all religions in fact. Communism, it is a religion. It's a fanatical, dark, intolerant religion. Christianity is the religion of heaven. Communism is a religion of earth. Christianity preaches love for everyone. Communism preaches class hatred and warfare and is based on egoism. Christianity is a religion of idealism founded on the faith of the victory of God's truth and love. Communism is a religion of dry, rational pragmatism pursuing the goal of creating an earthly paradise. We'll be back. Stick around. Don't change that dial. Talk about the power of holy water.
0: Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151.
1: Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, the power of holy water, things that every Catholic should know. Holy water, is, it's a common feature and a fixture in Catholic churches. It should also be a common feature in your house. You'll often see ornate stoops filled with holy water right at the church's entrance and growing up as a catholic you've probably dipped your fingers in these basins and made the sign of the cross thousands of times before in fact this gesture comes naturally to catholics that we often do it without conscience and thought but have you ever wondered why the water in it is considered holy well most probably you didn't not many of us do holy water is something we usually take for granted even though it's a very important Catholic symbol. As a sacramental, the holy water plays a huge role in several Catholic rites. It signifies repentance, rebirth, commitment and devotion, among other things. And by virtue of Christ's baptism, that water has become an instrument of God's grace. Remember that the priest is God's representative. He's in persona Christi during the sacraments. Therefore, the blessing right, he said, over the water is made on behalf of God. In short, God's blessings flows through that water, making it holy. Some of the common uses of holy water, there's no limit as to where you can use holy water. It's after all a symbol of God's grace. You can use it in almost anything from protecting your family from evil to blessing everyday objects. So here are some of the most common uses of holy water. Obviously, baptism. During baptism, the priest confers and pours uh, holy water over the person's forehead. This signifies not just their acceptance of Jesus as their Savior or the parents accepting uh, Jesus as a Savior. It also converts the promises of baptism, which includes renouncing Satan and having contempt for sin, disdaining sin. The second point, Blessings for Mass goers. This is perhaps one, one use of holy water that all Catholics are familiar with. Aside from using it to make the sign of the cross before entering the church, the priest also blesses Mass goers before and, and after Mass throughout the year during some liturgical season or liturgical feast day. And number three, it's also used for the blessing of the sick. First of all, blessing the sick is different from the sacrament of anointing the sick. The latter is given to those who are at death's door and and uses holy oil. When you bless the sick with holy water, it simply means that you're invoking god's healing presence. Number four, fourth use of holy water exorcisms holy water has has traditionally been considered as a powerful weapon against evil. This is why Catholic priests use it to drive out demons during exorcism rites. In fact, St. Teresa of Avila famously said, by the way, a doctor of the church, she said, quote, From long experience, I have discovered that there is nothing like holy water to put devils to flight and prevent them from returning again. Close quote. St. Teresa of Avila, doctor of the church. So that was her go-to sacramental. Number five, holy water is also used for cleansing of sins. Remember, the holy water is a powerful symbol of repentance. So when you dip your fingers in holy water, in the holy water basin or stoop, and use it to make the sign of the cross, it's not just an empty gesture. It symbolizes our desire for God's forgiveness and cleanses ourselves of sin. The holy water used in baptism also is also meant to cleanse us of the original sin that we're all born with. Blessing yourself. There's no law that says you can't sprinkle holy water on yourself. So go ahead and do it every day. You can keep one in a small spray bottle that you carry with you wherever you go. After all, you can never have too much holy water. Number seven. Holy water can be used to bless your home. This is especially essential for new homes. As mentioned, holy water can drive out demons and whatever evil forces that may be lurking in your home, you can do it by yourself or ask a priest to do it for you. Number eight, blessing your family. Aside from yourself, you can also sprinkle some holy water to your family members every day. You can do it in the morning before they head down to work, school, or before they go to bed at night. It not only gives them spiritual protection, but also strengthens your faith as a family. You could also use it to bless your pets. If you sprinkle holy water on your on your family members, then it just makes sense that you give some to your pets too. All creatures deserve to receive God's blessing and protection. In fact, in the Catholic Church, there's even a special day where they of the blessing of the pets. Number ten, blessing your workspace. Before starting your work, sprinkle some holy water in your workplace. There's nothing better than starting your work day with a blessing from God. It's always a way of sanctifying your work and offering it to God. Blessing religious items. The church also conducts blessing rites for religious items like scapulars, rosaries, and prayer booklets. It's a way of honoring the things that are important to our faith. Also blessing your car. Just like your home, you also need to bless your car with holy water. Driving on the road can be unpredictable and accidents happen when you least expect it. It won't hurt to have some degree of protection from harm's way. You can also bless your garden. Since the Middle Ages, Catholics have been sprinkling their vegetable gardens with holy water. It's a way of showing your hope and trust in God that he'll bless your plants so it can bring sustenance to your family. It's also used for the blessing of wedding rings. During weddings, the priest will bless the rings with holy water before they're exchanged by the bride and groom. This signifies asking for God's divine grace to strengthen the marriage and the priest will also utter a simple prayer for the newlyweds while blessing the ring. So how to use holy water? Obviously, you cannot make holy water on your own. You can't make holy water by boiling water and making it very hot. No, it has to be consecrated by a priest. So you can only get holy water from the church. Some churches give all small bottles of holy water to anyone who asks for it. Alternatively, you can take some water to the church and ask your priest to bless it. Any water will do. To use holy water, you can take out a small branch of whatever bush is near you, dip it in the water, then sprinkle it all over the house, car, or anything you want to bless with holy water. Most wa- most holy water bottles, however, have squirt lids that help you to sprinkle the water directly. There's no standard prayer to utter when pr- when when sprinkling the holy water, but you can utter a simple prayer like this is the one that I use. It's kind of the traditional prayer that's used. It goes like this. Obviously, you make the sign of the cross. And then you say, by this holy water and by your precious blood, wash away all my sins, O Lord. Amen. So that's typically the prayer that's prayed when you you put holy water on your forehead. When you bless yourself, you would dip your fingers with holy water. And you would say, by this holy water and by your precious blood, wash away all my sins, O Lord. Amen. That's the typical prayer the traditional prayer that's used i'll say it one more time for those of you that are just kind of uh want to want to continue to start this practice for the rest of your life starting today dip your fingers in the holy water or if you got a bottle you can spray yourself and then you say by this holy water and by your precious blood wash away all my sins O lord amen again make the sign of the cross and of course, you can also do the Lord's Prayer or the St. Michael the Archangel Prayer when you bless yourself with holy waters. As Catholics, that's, that's where we have an advantage. And sometimes, you know, you'll have Protestants say, well, you Catholics have made this up. What do you mean holy water? Well, where does that come from? You, you Catholics have made this up. No, it's actually a, an Old Testament practice. This this belief in, in that water can be made holy. This is an Old Testament practice. I'll, I'll show you probably uh, the, the first place or, or the most common place where we see the use of holy water. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. And here's what it says. Naaman, the army commander the king of Aram, was highly esteemed and respected by his master. For through him the Lord had brought victory to Aram, but valiant as he was, the man was a leper. Now, the Arameans had captured from the land of Israel in a raid a little girl who became the servant of Naaman's wife. If only my master would present himself to the prophet in Samaria, she said to her mistress, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went and told his lord just what the slave girl from the land of Israel had said. Go, said the king of Aram, I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman set out, taking along ten silver talents, six thousand gold pieces, and ten festal garments. To the king of Israel, he brought the letter which reads, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When he read the letter, the king of Israel tore his garments and exclaimed, Am I a God with power over life and death, that this man should send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? Take note. You can see he's only looking for for a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his garments, he sent word to the king, Why have you torn your garments? Let him come to me and find out that there's a prophet in Israel. Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. The prophet sent him, sent him the message, Go and wash seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will heal, and you will be clean. But Naaman went away angry, saying, I thought that he would surely come out and stand there to invoke the Lord his God, and he would move his hand over the spot and thus cure the leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farfar better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleansed? With this he turned about in anger and left. But his servants came up and reasoned with him. My father, they said, if the prophet has told you to do something extraordinary, would you have not done it? All the more now, they said. They say, since he said this to you, wash and be clean. Should you do as he said? So Naaman went down and plunged into the Jordan seven times. At the word of the man of God, his flesh became clean again like the flesh of a little child and he was clean there we see the, the one of the first old testament examples of holy water and why was the jordan holy it was in, it, it was the jordan was holy the rivers the waters of the jordan river even in the old testament in anticipation of the baptism of our lord and savior jesus christ at the jordan river 700 years after this event because of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan, all the waters of the world have been made holy or made potentially holy. Just by a blessing, they would become holy because our Lord has already prepared all the waters of the world by stepping into the waters with his, with his body, which is God incarnate. And so the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan River cleansed the, the king of leprosy in anticipation of Jesus Christ purifying those waters 700 years later through his baptism. We'll be right back. We're talking about the power of holy water. Stick around. Don't go anywhere.
0: Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency... Dial 888-526-2151.
1: Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. We're talking about the theology of holy water and the fact that holy water, already in the Old Testament, it was anticipated uh, that the waters of the world would become holy, potentially holy, because the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, His body touched the waters of the Jordan so that has sanctified all the all the waters throughout the world potentially once they are blessed by a catholic priest you see for example in isaiah chapter 12 verse 3 it says with joy you will draw water at the fountain of salvation christ is the fountain of salvation and from christ what comes from jesus he says for me comes li- rivers of living water Jesus Christ is the fountain of salvation, and from Jesus is where we receive rivers of living water. So the word water is used in the Old and New Testament as a metaphor to impart grace, to wash somebody clean interiorly. You also see in Exodus chapter 23, verse 25, the Bible says, The Lord your God you shall worship. Then I will bless your food and drink, and I will remove all sickness from your midst. Close quote. There it is. So God promises to bless our food and drink. Well, water is all obviously one of the one of the uh, drinks that we've been we've been consuming ever since Adam and Eve. So water is blessed by God, or potentially blessed by God. In Leviticus chapter fourteen, verse five and seven, <clears throat> here's another exhortation to the Levite priests about the use of holy water. It says. The priest shall then order him to slay one of the birds over an earthen vessel and spring and spring and spring water in it, taking the living bird with the Seder wood, the satyr wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop. The priest shall dip them all in the blood of the bird that was slain over the spring water, and then sprinkle seven times a man to be purified from his leprosy when he has thus purified him. He shall let the living bird fly away over the countryside. Close quote. So here we see a Levite ritual of healing of of leprosy. And one of the things that's used is holy water. Numbers chapter 5, verse 17. Another use of holy water in the Old Testament by the Levite priest. It says, In an earthen vessel he shall put some holy water as well as some dust that he has taken from the floor of the dwelling. Again, so the Old Testament, the Jews, the Levites, they used holy water for ritual practices. Numbers chapter 8 verse 7. It says, this is what you shall do to them to purify them. Sprinkle them with the water of remission. Then have them shave their whole bodies and wash their clothes and so purify themselves. So here in the book of Numbers chapter 8, there's another Ritual prayer that's done with holy water and done by the Levite priest. The Old Testament is full of these metaphors about the Jews using holy water. So again, the the use of holy water precedes Catholic Christianity. It comes from the Old Testament. In Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he, this man, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his season, his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Notice this, this, this godly man. He will be plant, planted like a tree by the rivers of water. The rivers of water. That's Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 51 verse 55 verse 1. It says all of you who are thirsty come to the water. You who have no mercy come. <clears throat> Receive grain and eat. Come without pain and without cost. Drink wine and milk. So here we see Isaiah speaking about at the, uh, at the eschaton in heaven. and final glory, he's saying, all you who are thirsty, come to the water. Why? Because Isaiah is hearkening the words of Jesus Christ. These are messianic words. This is messianic prophecy. This is what Jesus says about himself. And Isaiah is saying it about Jesus in anticipation of his birth and his 33-year ministry here on planet Earth. In Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 to 17. We also see the use of holy water. Holy water. It says then Jesus came from Galilee. To John at the Jordan. To be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him saying. I need to be baptized by you. And yet you are coming to me. Jesus said to him in reply. Allow it for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. After Jesus was baptized. He came up from the water and behold the heavens were open for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him and a voice came from heaven saying this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased there we see Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River and the waters of the Jordan River were sanctified when the body of Christ touched those waters and all the waters throughout the entire world were potentially sanctified And prepare to be sanctified. By the fact that Jesus Christ's bodies touched the Jordan River. In John chapter 3. Excuse me. In John chapter 7. Verse 37. Talking about holy water. It says here. It says. On the last and greatest day. Of the feast. Jesus stood up. And exclaimed. Let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And he said this in reference to the spirit that those who came to believe. Rivers of living water will flow from him, from within him. The rivers of living water are Jesus Christ. And when we are baptized, Christ lives within us. And so the rivers of living water, which flow out of us onto other people, it's the spirit of Jesus Christ that we received at baptism. It's uh, what a gift, what a gift to be a Catholic Christian. That the one true God lives in us. Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 to 27, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to sanctify her. Ah, Cleansing her by the bath of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be made holy and without blemish. So notice our Lord Jesus Christ, his, his duty is to cleanse the church by the bath of the water with the word. Well, guess what a husband's duty is? A husband's duty is to make his wife holy. How? By cleansing her by the bath of water with the word of God. To present To himself, the church in splendor. To present his wife to God in splendor on that day. Revelation 21 verse 6. The Bible says, he said to me, they are accomplished. I am the Alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give a gift from the spring of life-giving water. Notice Old Testament, New Testament, book of Revelation, that metaphor over and over again. Spring of life-giving water. That's Jesus. That's when you come to Jesus. Jesus is the life-giving water. And that's why we as Catholics use holy water again. Holy water is a symbol of Christ. And it actually does something. It gives us actual grace. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of life-giving water. Notice all these references to holy water in the Bible sparkling like crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the street of its middle. On either side of the river grew the tree of life that produces uh, fruit 12 times a year, once each month. The leaves of the trees serve as medicine for the nations. There it is, the book of Revelation. And in heaven, we will have the ultimate holy water. That's Jesus Christ himself. And we'll have... uh, the leaf of the trees, which serve as medicine for the nations, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is all in all. Through him, with him, and in him. That's, what, that's all you need. Revelation 22:17. the Bible says, The bride and spirit say, Come. Let the hearer say, Come. Let the one who thirst come forward, and the one who wants it receive the gift of life-giving water. So we see this life-giving water in the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's just, a, it's just a running theme. This life-giving water, again, it's a reference to holy water. And also, more importantly, it's a reference to Jesus Christ. It's a symbol of Christ. But all these all these allusions to water is why we as Catholics use holy water. It's representative of Christ. And it actually does something to us. Holy water is a sacramental. The Holy Mother Church has instituted sacramentals. These are sacred signs which bury resemblance to the sacraments. The sacramentals signify effects. Particularly of a spiritual nature. Which are obtained through the intercession of the church's prayer. And by them men... And women are disposed to receive the chief effects of the sacraments. And various occasions in life are rendered holy by using holy water. Also, St. Teresa of Avila, I think I already mentioned it before. She said that was her go-to sacrament to drive out demons. That was her go-to sacrament to drive out demons. Sacramentals are instituted for the sanctification of certain ministries in the church or certain states of life or a great variety of circumstances in Christian life and the use of many things helpful to man. In accordance with bishops' pastoral decisions, Holy Water can also respond to the needs, culture, and special history of the Christian people of a particular region or time. They always include prayer, often accompanied by a specific sign, the sign of the cross and the sprinkling of holy water, which recalls our baptism. We'll be right back. Stick around.
0: Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151.
1: Christ conquers, Christ reigns, Christ commands. That was the battle cry throughout history, especially from the Crusaders and the Knights Templar. They would say, Christus vincit, Christus regnat, Christus imperat. Let's pull no punches on this. Let's tell it like it is. We as Catholics serve a the Virgin Most Powerful. She's a 12-star general. Pray the rosary every day, read your Bible every day, and by doing so, you inflict pain, torment, and drive demons Away from you and your family. Let's unite our prayers to the heels of the Blessed Virgin Mary. To her Immaculate Feet. And let's unite our prayers to the Sword of St. Michael. And continue delivering powerful blows to the Kingdom of Darkness. And tear down the gates of Hell. Which is Modernism, Marxism, and Masonry. I want to talk to you about the, the body. Theology of the body. The body is not the enemy. I don't know about you, but the word flesh tends to invoke a bit of a negative reaction in a lot of people. The New Testament certainly has its fair share of this connotation with verses like in, in Romans eight thirteen, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And how about this one? In 1 John two sixteen. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. Close quote, First John 2.16. So, we often read verses like this outside the context of the whole passage, or even outside the chapter or book they're situated in. And what I've noticed is that language like this tends to be carried over into how we speak about our bodies in recovery. Terms like denying the flesh, when used too often, place the emphasis of recovery and healing on bodily discipline alone. This kind of thinking is dangerous because it can cause us to fall into a sort of dualism that has found a home in many schools of thought, including several Christian heresies like Manichaeism, which is one of the most popular early heresies that inhabited many religions including Christianity. What it did, it posed a dualistic religion that held the spiritual world as good and constantly at war with the dark, evil, material world. And so, for the followers of of Manichae, or for the followers of Manichaeanism, defeating the material or or flesh with the spirit was the final victory. It was a tempting mindset when, when we're trying to heal from habitual sexual sin and compulsion. When we see our flesh, our body, our sexuality as something that's just to be defeated, we may achieve sobriety, but happiness, wholeness, holiness, not so much. I'll give you an example of taking uh, an extreme form of the body being evil, of Manichaeanism uh, infecting somebody's ability to think. I'm almost positive it was the great historian Origen who would have been one of the great fathers of the church but instead turned out to be a heretic at the end. Origen, the great Old testament scholar of the old testament he uh he read the passage that if uh you know any part of your body causes you to sin, cut it out, so he castrated himself now <laughs> that that's that's taking uh that's taking that verse. Literally, our Lord Jesus Christ is talking hyperbole. It, in other words, hyperbole is when you make an exaggerated, em- em- embellished claim because you want to drive a real spiritual truth to the audience. You want to get, convey something serious, very serious. And so it's like you people today saying, uh, he's, he's as tall as a ladder, Or he's as big as a house. That's called hyperbole. We do that all the time. Our Lord did it as well. He used Hebrew hyperbole as well. But uh, Origen took those words literally. And castrated himself. Back in the 2nd century. But going back to the the school of Manichaeanism. This kind of thinking is dangerous. Because it can cause us to fall into a sort of dualism. That has found. That has found a home in many schools of thought including several christian heresies because we when we all see when, when when all we see associated with the flesh is sin in god's word and in ourselves we miss another very important verse arguably the most important verse in the bible john 1:14 where it says and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us john chapter 1 verse 14 Dualism, whether it's an early Christian heresy or our own mindset during recovery, it misses the incarnation, the fact that God himself became a man. He didn't think that the flesh was a dark enemy to be defeated, but a broken creation to be redeemed. Disciplining the body certainly has its place in recovery, not because your body is the enemy, but because it's just one step in becoming an integrated human being, mind, body, and soul. Without one, there can be no whole. Christ gave us the perfect example of this integration. His whole being was alive, extended in love and obedient to the Father. That's true victory. Your body is meant to be loved, sacrificed and loved through your daily calling and welcomed into eternal life when it's raised up into what is meant to be, just as Christ was. When you're tempted to see your body as the enemy, perhaps spend some time in the presence of His body in the Eucharist. The body that only feels capable of sin is the same one that allows you to kneel before and receive Him, Jesus Christ, in the Eucharist. God doesn't see your body as an, as an enemy. To Him it's worth loving, feeding, and redeeming and dying for. And if Christ doesn't see your body as the enemy, neither should you. While it is true, as Father Gabriel Morth says, Quote, the devil will try every trick to force man's body to become an occasion of sin. You can see today that the diabolical left sees the body as an enemy. That's why they've invented transgenderism. Okay? That you're trapped in the body of a certain gender, but you're actually the opposite gender. The left also attacks the body through abortion, euthanasia, contraception, Legalization of marijuana, promotion of sodomy, cloning, sex reassignment surgery. Yet every one of us is an unrepeatable creation of God. So don't compare your body to anybody else's body, especially those computer images on magazines. That's fake. The first line of the Catechism of the Catholic Church on morality says this, Christians, recognize your dignity. Christians, recognize your dignity. We cannot understand Christianity without understanding who we are. Man and woman intended for holy communion. And how do we become the best version of ourselves? How? Mary's womb is the mold of God. If we pour ourselves like liquid into her womb, we will become like Christ. This is the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. St. Louis de Montfort said that Mary is the promised land because God came into the world in Mary's womb. Going back to this misuse of the body. Most, pe- most lay Catholics are married. There's more married Catholics than there are Catholics in, voc- in the vocation of a priesthood or religious life. We don't know who we are for each other. We're called to be a gift to each other. A man is the priest of his home and the woman is a tabernacle, which means she is beautiful. And beauty receives attention and gifts. A priest offers himself as a sacrificial gift before the bride tabernacle. We can teach our kids spousal mystery by attending a proper liturgy. Man is priest, woman is tabernacle. Man approaches women with reverence and honor. Look at a priest's postures and genuflections before the tabernacle. The attack on marriage today is acute. We see, for example, the homosexual rainbow is the mockery of the sacrament of marriage. And it is the plagiarism of the covenant that God made with Noah. The rainbow Is a Catholic sign. G.K. Chesterton once said that every man who knocks at the door of a brothel is looking for God. Yeah. And why are so people fascinated today with body parts? The cult of the body. The cult of the body are people who deep down inside are looking for holiness. Holiness. A technique to combat lust for men, for example, when you see a billboard and there is a young immodestly dressed woman on the billboard, instead of lusting and letting your mind become racy and imagine yourself in, uh, in intimacy with that person or in fornication with that person, you see a billboard with a young, beautiful woman give the person a name and pray for that person. This will break the power to lust because you've got, you've brought God into the memory and the imagination. Seeing the whole body in relation to its parts, like a face, is the goal of redeem men. Seeing the body in its isolated parts is the goal of Pornography. The localization of genitals is the staple of pornography, whereas Christian art accentuates the whole body. We make up in our bodies what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ's body, Colossians 1.24. What's lacking in our bodies is purity. As we receive purity, we are participating in the triumph of the Immaculate Heart and the Lord Jesus Christ that's a wrap Jesus 911 God come to our assistance Lord make haste to help us up next Gary Machuda hands on apologetics the big guy stick around remember evil never rests let's fight together until the end of our life live in a state of grace see you next time